These days, perhaps more than ever in my life, I see that the way I look at my day will become my day. If I look at my day positively and I see the blessings around me, that's what my day is going to be like. And if I see my day as um, restricted and limited, that's what my day is going to be like. Because right now, <laughs> distractions fall away. There's no externality to distract me and um, have me pretend my day is anything different than what I'm viewing it. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'd like to start with a Hasidic story that I heard from Rabbi David Gottlieb uh, from Ar Sameach in Jerusalem. Um, this man is a farmer in a, a farm somewhere in Poland. And once every few years, he buys himself a pair of new leather boots. It's always a very special occasion. And he goes and he buys himself these leather boots. And he's walking outside and the birds are chirping and the sky is blue. And he's so excited about his leather boots. He's not looking where he's going. And he's walking and he looks down and he finds himself in the middle of a mud field. And he is shocked and he's in despair because his boots are getting completely encrusted with mud. Um, so what did he do? He promptly picks up his right foot off the ground and he starts scraping it until it's, well, has a semblance of what it used to look like. Uh, then he wants to scrape off his left boot, puts his right foot back into the muddy field, and that's not going to work because now his right foot is off a little mud again. So he takes a deep breath, and what does he do? He trudges all the way back to the street. Because there's no point scratching off the dirt when you're still in the mud field. Once he's out on the street and there's no more mud coming in, that's when he can get rid of the existing mud. Now, this is a very, very telling, very deep story for anything. Whether you're in a bad situation and you can't really see how bad it is, even though all your friends are telling you that it's bad, you first have to get out of the swamp until you can smell the stench. As well as habits. But I want to take it... It's kind of a different twist. I'll start with a question about Passover. In Passover, we have 15 steps. They are all written in one type of way, except for one. I'll give you three seconds. Which one's the odd man out? Can you guess? It's Orchatz. Kadesh means we make a blessing. We sanctify the day. Orchatz is translated as what? Washing hands? No. Orchatz means and washing hands. But then karpas, again, just means vegetable. So orchatz is the only one with the and. So it must be that there's something about orchatz which is directly um, an addition to the kaddish rather than um, karpas being a direct addition to the orchatz. But what is that? Well, let's translate. Kaddish means sanctifying the day, making kiddush over a cup of wine. Why do we do that? Because we're taking something that is mundane and we're elevating it. Something sanctified. Something sanctified. We're adding something good into the world. What is rechatz? What is washing your hands? Washing your hands is always getting rid of dirt. You're washing your hands either to get rid of, um, well, bacteria in the air, very apropos right now, or just dirt. I mean, I mean you should have seen my kids' nails today. They had to wash their hands before supper. So um, there's something about washing hands that is a direct addition, a direct um, action after the sanctifying. 
well, if you want to put it into very uh, metaphorical language, when you sanctify, you add something to the world that is better, that is um, positive, that is holy. And when you're washing your hands, you're getting rid of something negative. We know these two concepts, doing good and getting rid of evil. And what we are told here before we even start the Seder is first do good, first add something positive to your life, then worry about all the negative in your life. And this has been an age-old uh, discussion of what do you do first. You first get rid of all the negative in your life, and then you start doing something positive. Do you first make sure that you are a completely moral, honest, just human being, and then go work in the soup kitchen? Or do you first start working in the soup kitchen, and then hope your um, the things that you have to work on in your um, in your own personal life will get fixed? So here we have a clear directive of first go out there. First go and do your good. First be an active member in the world in a positive way. And then once you're in that positive mind space, the mind space that you are making a positive difference in the world, that you are um, having an effect in the world, that'll give you the motivation to then go look at the less than perfect parts of you and actually get, get on with fixing them as well. That's the commonly um, understood um way of going at it. However, we also know that David um, in Tehillim, he wrote a uh, very famous passage called Sur Meirav Asetov, get rid of bad and do good. Now that's the absolute opposite. That is first get rid of all the bad and then do good. So the explanation, either they just disagreed, or if you want to look deeper, the explanation would be this. In order to get motivated to actually go out and do it, do something, to look at your blemishes first is not exactly motivating. You're never going to get going. First, make a difference. Show yourself that you are able to make a difference, a positive difference in the world. Go volunteer in the soup kitchen. Then look at your jealousy issue. Then look at your anger issues because you know that you can already make a positive effect. However, once you're already in that mind space of doing good, you're already confident that you are the type of person who can grow and you want to achieve perfection in any part of your life, then you have to be meticulous. Then first get rid of the bad and then do perfection. So if you want to say that they're both answering different questions, David might be answering the question of how do you achieve perfection in every area. You first have to make sure you're pure so that when you do the good, it's not blemished. Let's say somebody is um, really likes applause, really likes people admiring them. So and then they go volunteer, it's not going to be pure because they're, they're going to be looking out for the good job. So they first have to work on the being okay with nobody seeing and being um, dependent only on God and then go out. However, somebody who's not volunteering right now because they're just stuck in, in their old ways, go out first. Look at your problems later. And this I find is very um, apropos to right now. Because we are all facing a Pesach that we have never experienced before. Elderly people are alone this Pesach. People with, um, that usually would go to families are alone this Pesach. Students are alone this Pesach. People who usually have guests are just with their family this Pesach. We were planning on having our last Passover with all our students. Well, no, it's just going to be Simi and me. So what can we do? How can we, if we sit down on our own with our cup of wine and our matzah, 
Or if we're just with our family and we really wanted guests, how can we make this Pesach meaningful? Because it's going to be the only one. No, we would have never chosen this. We would have never chosen it. But it's going to be unique. This Pesach is going to be unique. So what are we going to do about it? What souvenirs, as I always say this, what souvenir are we going to take out of this Pesach? Let's say uh, you're, on a, you're on a flight and you're on your way to Hawaii and you're all excited and suddenly the, the airplane's having engine trouble and they have to land at some random place that you never wanted to go to. Now you're there, you're stuck there for two days. Yes, you could just sit in the hotel and say, I don't want to be here, get me out. Or you could say, listen, might as well check it out, might as well go touring. And guess what? Two years later, who's going to have a memorable holiday for it? The person who actually went and toured the place. So what souvenir can we take? And I think that no matter if you're alone or if it's different than expected or you're with people that you ideally wouldn't want to be with, you can make it personal. We all have to see ourselves as if we left Mitzrayim. Now, I've never been to Egypt. But what I can do is I can think of where in my life was I in what would be called Hametzar, the... Um, a passage that's very narrow. Mitzrayim, Meitzar. It's the same word. In Tehillim, uh, we say, Minha Meitzar, Karasika. We call God from the narrow passages. When did you feel that you couldn't move? When did you feel, God, uh, give me a little bit of breathing space here. I have no hope. What in the world is going to go, is going to happen here? When did you feel like you were in a passage where there was no hope? Where you, the end was not, you couldn't see the end in sight? Go there in your mind in the beginning of the Seder and then work your way through. When you have your maror, think of something that was bitter. These aren't cute little symbolic um, gestures that we're making just for the kids. When you eat your maror, think of something bitter, personal in your life. God cares about your life in a very deep and real way. The bitter things in your life are real to him. You can share that with him. Have your maror. And then when you lean back or when you dip, which are all signs of royalty, think of times when he let you rest your head, when he let you say, oh, I get it. I became stronger because of this. Or, oh, relief. 